It is easy for worship leaders to feel alone. There is tremendous pressure on us each week to perform, to lead, and to help direct an amazing experience of worship and connection to God. But it's so overwhelming. There's no place to go to talk through these unique challenges worship leaders face. Welcome to the table. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of The Table. Today, we're actually continuing last week's conversation. Um, we had a different episode planned for today, but the the response that we got from our, our episode last week actually got us to uh, decide to actually put in another episode out today um, in response to last week and just continue the conversation. Um, if you're wondering, how do I respond to podcasts? Uh, follow us on Instagram at Worship Leader Podcast, and you can... Um, just send us send us messages when you guys are hearing the podcast and have questions. And maybe there's something that you go, I want to go a little bit deeper on this. Send us messages. I would love to know what you guys are hearing and processing and, and, and how that goes. And so um, today's podcast is actually in response to a couple messages we got last week off of Instagram. Um, but before we do that, let's go ahead and run around uh, this, this, this Zoom call and uh, introduce ourselves. I will go first. Uh, my name is Jason Squires, and I am the host of this podcast. Also uh, run an organization called The Creative Launch, um, helping creatives thrive and just spending the day, spending our my day um, uh, building tools so that creatives have those tools to thrive. And so this podcast is one of those. Uh, but Grant, why do you go ahead and introduce yourself? Absolutely. My name is Grant Norsworthy, and I'm beaming into this podcast from New Zealand where I live. I head up a thing called More Than Music Mentor. My accent is Australian. Hope you're coping with that. But if there are any people of the Australian way of English and you heard Jason introduce his organization as the Creative Launch, it's not lunch. It's L-A-U-N-C-H launch that he's talking about. Creative launch. That's what Jason Squires launch. does. Launch. Launch. Not lunch. Not lunch. I mean, I'll, I would eat, but it's it's different. It's different. <laughs> what about you, Jason? Yeah, great to be back. My name is Jason Harris. I'm the worship pastor at Browncroft Community Church, um, where I serve an amazing congregation up in Rochester, New York. Uh, been here for well over a decade serving this congregation in the Lord and really passionate about um, both raising up healthy teams, but specifically raising up uh, young adults to serve the church uh, and to be spiritually healthy for the long run. Amen. Amen. What about you, Tim? Yeah, so my name is Tim Tibbles. I am the Creative Arts and Worship Minister at a church called First Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. We're a little suburb mm. of Tulsa. We're right here in God's country. So, uh, <laughs> so glad, so glad you guys could be a part of this. Um, I've been doing this for man. We I was talking about this with my wife the other day because uh, we've been married for twenty eight years now, That's awesome. and um, we've been leading worship since pretty much uh, we've got we we've, we've been married, and so it's been twenty years, almost thirty years that uh, that we have been uh, we've been doing this for the Lord. So it's been a lot of fun. Oh, I love it. That's oh, so good. Well. This conversation today is, like I mentioned earlier, is kind of an extension of, of last week. And um, this whole month, we've been talking about uh, maintaining creativity in your ministry and yourself. And uh, earlier this month, we talked about production and songwriting. And in the mentor chat, we talked about um, kind of helping helping your team be creative and helping all of us kind of uh, be creative in the process. And uh, we opened up, I'm, I use the analogy of cracking an egg, we kind of opened up 
a conversation about creativity in the church. And today I wanted to continue that conversation. And the questions that um, are in here today actually came directly from people, uh, like I mentioned earlier, from Instagram, sending me messages. And so uh, last week we talked about respecting art and creativity. Um, Grant and I kind of talked a little bit about, um, so I, I mentioned that I don't, I don't get rap. I understand it. Um, but I don't, it's not something that I choose to listen to, but I can respect it as an art form. But as a worship leader, it's easy to lean towards a certain type of songs. Um, it's also easy to disregard, uh, an entire era of, of writing. Um, but I want, can you guys help me answer this question? Can I sing reckless love followed by Christ? The Lord is risen today. Is that, can I, I just, it's a question that I want to know how to, I want to like, as a, as a worship leader, like Christ the Lord is risen today. And then I followed up with reckless love. And can I say sloppy wet kiss next to uh, like it as well with my soul? Like, I want to know, like, how does this, how does this conversation as a worship leader, like, how do we, how do we, how do we do this? And um, cause everybody has thoughts and everybody has about what the music is. And um, but Jason, why don't you kick us off with that? Yeah. Thinking about uh, my church context uh, specifically, I think the answer is it depends. It really depends yeah. on your church. Um, and thinking about that, you have to think about, okay, we're here, especially if we're talking about Sunday morning, we're here to worship the Lord and shepherd our people. Um, and if we can do that, that's our goal. And so how we do that, um, there's a multitude of answers. And so in my context, Actually, we would do that. Now, I don't think we have to do that. So it's not like we're in a box that we have to do like one you know, contemporary song, then one hymn, then go back to um, whatever. I think what we talk about here is we have a, a circle that we stay within. The center of our circle is like the meat and potatoes of who Browncroft is. But outside of that, there are different styles. Um, there are different you know, songs from hymnody to uh, classical, even contemporary, you know, it's okay to bust out a song from 1985, some Keith green or, yep. um, and, and then, but our, our, our core is, you know, more modern contemporary, but that works in our setting. Um, it's also, I think, so it's really, who is, who is your church's DNA? Who are they? Who have they been? And if you're at a church, like the church that I've been a part of that, um, wants to retain some of that tradition. Our church is a hundred plus years old. Um, so we have people that have sung those songs for, you know, 50, 60, 70 years. It's, it's fruitful uh, to shepherd our congregation in that way. Um, as we continue to, you know, move and worship the Lord together. So I really think it depends on who's your congregation. What's the vision of the church? And then how do you best do that as someone who is preparing to lead others before the Lord? Um, so that's kind of my opening thoughts. Yeah. I love it. You guys, Grant, Tim, you have some thoughts there? Yeah. So um, I think I've used this analogy before with you, Jason. I um, First of all, I think we need to understand the difference between uh, literal context and uh, artistic context. We find a lot of artistic context in the Bible. When you read through song of solomon i don't think any one of us could get away with telling our wives that her nose looks like you know an ivory tower um or you know other things that are written in there uh but in the context of which those were written uh in artistic form they make a lot of sense and they probably have a lot of meaning so i think we have to separate those out um and i 
I agree 100% with Jason that context is everything when you're leading worship. The analogy I love to use is that I'm the oldest of, uh, of five kids in my family. And if I wanted to honor my dad on his birthday or Christmas and give him a gift, it'd be really easy for me to do um, alone. You know, I could take my dad to see, you know, John Fogarty, or we could go to a baseball game. Those are things my dad and I love doing together. We love road trips, um, all those things. But you start involving my other siblings. And if I were to go to them and say, hey, let's do something really special for dad uh, for his birthday, it gets really complicated at that moment because everybody has a little bit different relationship with our dad and uh, what they enjoy doing with dad is different than maybe what I would enjoy doing with him. So everybody then has to kind of give up something in order to be able to honor dad. And I can tell you this as a father, a lot of times when I receive gifts from my kids, it's a little bit more meaningful knowing it came from all of them instead of just one of them. And that doesn't necessarily mean I don't enjoy the one on one time, but as my family gets bigger, I realize the sacrifice it takes from each one of them to be able to, to give to me something or to honor me in a way that, uh, that took all of them to sacrifice something to do it. So when we come together as a church, uh, really what we're doing is we're getting all the kids together and saying, hey, guys, it's, we need to honor dad together. And it's going to probably require all of us to give up something a little bit. And there might be some context that goes along with this that may not be the most comfortable context for everybody in the room. But if we could find that sweet spot where we all agree this is the best thing for our father, this is the best way to honor him, uh, I, think, I think that's the goal. That's always the goal. And everybody's context is going to look a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. We have a multi-generational church. I like to say if you're 9 or 99, you fit in our, in our church. Uh, and can worship together. Um, but I don't know that we could get away with singing sloppy wet. I think we'd have a lot of people that, you know, that might have an issue with that. Um, you know, we could probably get away with singing reckless love. Um, but, you know, our context might be a little different than the church down the street. So I think the goal is always how do we get the whole family together and honor the Lord together in a way that pleases him, um, which probably requires us all giving up a little bit of something from ourselves. Grant last week posed a question I posed a question last. He posed a question last week about Christians taking a risk in art, um, and uh, you know it, we live in a world now of where we have the tools to duplicate. Um, it's really easy to make something sound like something. Um, how do we? So, Jason, you kind of alluded to it there, but how do we maintain the integrity of the song, but also giving it its, its own flair? And should should I, as a worship leader, take risks, or is or uh, as I create, or is playing it safe a better option? Um, Last week I was at Disneyland and I uh, was walking up and down Main Street and there was this band off to the side and I was looking at it thinking about thinking about this podcast and our conversation last week um, and it was there was a guitar player there was a guy with a snare drum and like a small ride an upright bass and um, they were just having the time of their lives and it sounded like a full band like the, the way they were the way they were driving you know, the, the upright bass player was was kind of was pushing was pushing things just a little bit to give it to have that kind of rhythm and the and the and the drummer was going and the singer it was just so, it was so good like it was so good um and i feel like we oftentimes in the creative side we fear uh like going kind of the acoustic route um because it one it's exposure you expose yourself as a musician um because it's like there's no room for error when there's not a lot to cover what's being played, but help us, um, help us in kind of your own ways. Um, how do I maintain the integrity of the song, but also 
be creative in how I'm presenting the song on a Sunday morning. What are your some What are your, some of your thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, well, you know, within the within the thought that uh, I don't know how truly artistically edgy and envelope pushing we can be in the context of in the context of leading a congregation to sing, we can be. We've got to really be careful about that. Uh, for one thing, the song's got to remain uh, singable to the congregation. Um, so we can't mess with melodies too much. If people know the melody of a song well, you can't mess with that. Um, I remember the first couple of, I, I was really pleased with myself, maybe 15 years ago, I came up with a version of It Is Well With My Soul. I found a way of playing it on my guitar and I thought, oh, I'm so happy with myself. And the first time I tried to lead a congregation to do it, I didn't realize, but I'd actually changed the melody to be really sort of syncopated. I was going, when peace like a river attendeth my way. I thought I was being super groovy, you know. I'm, I'm being creative, updating this old hymn. And my congregation looked at me like, oh, I suppose, I guess we're supposed to listen to him. They couldn't sing that because I changed the melody. So if you're going to be at all creative as we lead congregational singing as an expression of worship, you've got to... You've got to make the melody singable for Jack and Jill congregant. You've got to keep it the way they know it. But you might better do subtle things with, you know, the chords behind that melody or maybe even the time signature, maybe. But you've got to be really careful with those things. I don't, like, again, I don't know that when we're leading congregational singing is truly the chance to drop artistic bombs, you know. <laughs> We've got to be subtle with this. But we can bring things that, that are joyful. For, for example, there's a wonderful old song called um, um, We Are One in the Spirit, or some people know it as they'll know we are Christians. Mm-hmm. I've taken that that song and reworked it with some friends of mine, and we added a new refrain. So let us sing redemption song as his daughters and sons, for we are one. That's not the whole thing. And I, ch- I did change one other thing about it, and I had to explain it every time I lead this song. Because Jesus actually never said they'll know we are Christians by our love. He says they'll know you're my disciples by our love. So I did change that lyric within it. Um, and I, by the way, that song in the 1960s used to be a chord, you know, two-chord wonder. You know, 17 people would gather around a campfire with five out-of-tune guitars playing E minor and A2, and everyone could sing that. But now the song's got like more chords than you can poke a stick at, my, my version of it. You know, it's got a lot of chords in it. But the melody stays the same apart from the new refrain that I have to teach people. And that's, you know, as far as leading congregational singing, that's, that's, that's the sort of limit for me. Um, yeah. But if you're writing songs and recording songs for people to listen to, you can go way further than that. Did anybody see Jewel? sing the national anthem at NASCAR this weekend. I did. So Jewel, who I think I is a fantastic know. artist, very creative, very unique voice. She does, I think, I think as a recording artist, some really fantastic work, especially being a child of the eighties and nineties that I am. Uh, Jewel, Jewel holds a special place in my musical repertoire. Um, but she sang the national anthem and she did what Jewel does. Um, she was herself. She sang mm-hmm. it her way. And the, the pushback that she got from people in NASCAR, fans, all of those things was huge. And I'm reading these articles about how she ruined the national anthem. And I went and listened to it and I thought, this is amazing. But the problem was, is people in that context wanted to be able to sing with her. And she mm-hmm. did not sing it in a way that they could participate. And so um, I think... Exactly. 
sometimes this, I think this context applies to us because what we want is for everyone in our church, our congregation, our gatherings to participate. We don't want to be a yep. solo worship artist. That is not what we've been called to do as worship leaders. And maybe, uh, you know, Grant touched on this a little bit earlier. Maybe one of the most creative things we can do is be less creative. I think we have to pick and choose our spots of creativity because we're actually causing people not to participate. Then, then we are creating an environment for people to watch and, and not to, not to honor the Lord together, you know, as a church. And um, I, let me say this to the young worship leader. Art in a lot of ways is about expressing uh, our internal emotion mm. and it can become very self-centered and very um, in, in, you know, very narcissistic in some ways as an artist, I want to let people well know what I think about, you know, how I do music, how I paint these pictures, you know, all of those things. Um, that is not what we've been called to do as worship leaders. We have not been called to be self-centered or narcissistic. What we've been called to do is lead a group of people to steward God's people in God honoring sacrifice for him. And if Paul is right in Romans 12, when he says that uh, worship is for us as a living sacrifice, then it means giving up ourselves for the benefit of God's kingdom and for him. And what I would say in this regard is, as worship leaders, we want to be on the platform. As artists, we want to be on the stage. It's hard for us to sit in chairs and not play our instruments or sing our songs. Um, but for us, the sacrifice isn't the music that we give up. The sacrifice is maybe doing it differently than we would do it. It's, it's protecting our Saturday nights so that we can be ready to lead on Sunday morning. It's memorizing our music. It's making sure that we know what best registers with our congregation. For us, for as worship leaders, that is our sacrifice of worship. Because if we just do it our way, that's not a sacrifice mm -hmm. at all. That's just giving God the leftovers of what we want. Yeah, I love that, Tim. And, you know, this when I do my workshops as More Than Music Mentor, I talk about absorbing small musical sadnesses. Yep. And, uh, you know, this this is uh, really what I'm trying to say to people, that in the musical context, there is a little microcosm of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a living sacrifice, to carry our own cross. This opportunity on a platform in front of a church congregation, when we are tasked with leading them to sing worshipfully to God, this is not our chance to do it our way and be super, super creative. Mm -hmm. um, the small musical sadness, sadnesses we might need to absorb are things like, well, I don't get to sing it uh, in the key I want to. I don't get to sing it embellishing the melody the way I want to, to show what a great voice God's given me. I don't get to have big guitar solos that, you know, peel people's faces. You know, like this is not that context. Find another context if you've got the ability for those things. Do it Do it elsewhere. But when we're leading congregational singing, we might need to absorb small mu musical sadnesses for the higher joy. And the higher joy is that we got our artistic, creative uh, uh, desire to express ourselves, we set that aside for a moment and we simply served our congregation and helped them find their voice so that they could sing worshipfully to God. And that is actually a different form of creativity, you know, realising this is not my chance to sing it my way. I've, I've heard it and seen it a million times and I think there's a big problem in the church right now of blurring the lines between artistic, creative performance music that we hope shows the worth of God right. and leading congregational singing as a way of showing the worth of God. And on Sunday morning, if you've been given the role of leading worship, quote, quote unquote, you are there to lead the voice of the people, not to show how creative God has made you. Um, Preach. 
preach. Yeah, I quoted, I quoted you yeah. the other day, Grant, in a workshop I was teaching, saying the phrase, <laughs> absorb small musical sadness. Because I, 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 I love that. <laughs> I love that. I said, I was like, as my friend Grant, I tried to do your accent, but it didn't work. But the but the <laughs> absorbing small musical sadness is such a is such an important thing. And because it's we want to continue bigger and better and sound. And it's like, no, sometimes you have to step back and realize. Oh, yeah. Look, I sing it as well with my soul. When I do get to leave them, I sing it super straight. Yeah. And I have to absorb a small musical sadness. I want to sing it all syncopated and cool, you know, to me. But I will never go back because it is flat out more fun to hear everybody sing it. Yep. You know, I, I used to do octave jumps in songs, you know, but I remove them all now. They are fun to sing, but I can't have a congreg a congregation cannot follow an octave jump. So yeah. I just remove them, you know. What are you thinking, Jason? Yeah, a couple things real quick, because I want to give some like practical things that I've done to keep that innovation that um, kind of freshness and so that it's not just like mail it in do the song as written or you know like the studio version one be yourself know your congregation so like don't feel like you have to do the studio arrangement in fact mm. don't do the studio arrangement do the kind of mm. like the one that meets your congregation who god has given you so that's first so that frees you up a little bit to um after you've studied your congregation, I think an easy one is be intentional between the songs. And yeah. so, because if you lead in with a prayer time or a scripture or a question, one of the best things that you can do in between songs is ask your congreg congregation a question to help them really be thinking about what they're saying. So not, not just to like sing the lyrics, but really ask them a question that helps them own their response. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's something that in between the songs um, can really be like innovative because you can change it every week and not mess with the melody of the song. Yep. Um, another thing that we do here in our worship planning is we look for mashups as in like, what are choruses and tags that, we know our congregation knows inside and out that help thematically express where we're going. And we don't have to do the whole song. It's something like, Oh, praise the name um, or living hope or um, a hymn, how great thou art. We can just sing the chorus a couple times and don't have to do the whole song and then flow in or out of wherever we were going. And just having that option of going, okay, what do we need to say right now? As we're planning this set, what do we need to say? And we don't have to go through all four verses in the bridge and the, like, maybe it's just the chorus or maybe it's just the bridge and having that, um, uh, like just as a, as an option, um, is huge. And lastly, um, we did this this past Sunday is either know that there are other responses besides congregational singing. Now, generally what we're doing is we want to lead our congregation in the congregational voice, but if you, we, Ask them um, if there's an, a reason why we can say, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna play an instrumental right now." And while we play this song, I don't want you to sing. I actually want you to reflect on this. I want you to spend this time in prayer. We did this song. We ended our service uh, this past week. Uh, our pastor wanted to end with "Come to Me." It's a Bethel music song. It's the voice of God. We just thought it would be super weird if everybody stood up and sang this song because it's the voice of God, and mm. it was just we just were like, oh, I don't think that's a song. But we were like, okay, how can we do this? And we said, okay, what we want people to do is sit and we want to sing over people. But we were instructive of like, hey, 
This is what God is saying to you mm. over you right now. We want you to sit, to stand, but to receive these words as truth. Um, and then we'll have a time to respond verbally after that. Um, and so I think it's just being very instructive in how we go about other avenues uh, of instructing our congregation. I love that. Yeah, there is certainly a place for musical performance that's still worshipful, you know, showing the worth of God in even our Sunday gatherings. But what Tim said there is so important. Just be really clear about it. You know, yeah. this is a chance for you to listen, to reflect, to ponder this, to be prayerful, mindful. And now here's a time for you to sing a song. Yep. Uh, and just be super clear about that. And that's it's the confusion of those two things that I think is getting a lot of us into trouble. Yeah. You guys, I love these conversations. I I seriously just sitting here and processing what, what we're talking about and talking through and um how I'll, we kind of each bring our own flair um into the into the in, in, into the um into the conversation. I you know talking about talking about risk taking and creating and um, in that in that space, um, real real kind of real briefly, is there? Um, how do I if I'm stuck in autopilot? How do I get out? How do I get out of autopilot? Um, this was a question that came through Instagram this week, um, talking about creating in 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 my sets, and uh, one of them specifically came from a liturgical background, mm -hmm. and she said, "I'm in a liturgical background, and I feel like we're we are in an autopilot state." And I, I want to get out of it to kind of, within the context of what we have, kind of explore what I could do in, obviously, we have this pre-built context. What do you guys, what are some thoughts you have on just kind of getting out of the autopilot state? Just have some thoughts there. Yeah, you know, to me, um, exposing yourself to, to more art and creativity uh, it can be a great way to go. So like if you're in a liturgical context, and what I'm hearing from that is is our services are more structured. There's there's a, a lot more order. There's an emphasis on particular steps, not room for spontaneity is yep. what I'm hearing from yep. that. Um, and, uh, you know, there are, there are some incredible older hymns that are being covered by multiple artists uh, today. So one of the things I do, if if I want to do uh, uh, rework an old hymn, uh, you know, be that my vision, then I'll go and listen, go to YouTube, go to Spotify, and listen to five different creative professional people, their versions of the of that hymn, mm -hmm. and be inspired. Listen, and and you know, there's nothing. We're we're all working, you know, with this, with the same twelve notes. You know, there's only so much that we can do and still have it be musical and congregationally sung. So uh, be inspired by other people's creativity and um, steal, you know, take great ideas and work them in. Yes. <laughs> work yes. them in. Now, now don't steal copywritten material. It's, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a hymn that's public domain, you know? Um, so yeah, be creative uh, within your context um, still keep the structure that your your liturgical service demands um, requires. I would say is a better word for that, and um, and I mean that with utmost respect. Yep. Um, and but there might be things you can do with instrumentation, with chord choices, mm -hmm. with 
you know, and be be inspired by other artists. But you know, like I, I just want to try and slip this in before we finish. You know, I I was a child of the in in the nineties when. Oh man, the the rec- the Christian record labels were coming out with promotional material that said things like this: If you like Blink One Eighty Two, you'll like this Christian band. You know, if you like the Black Crows, you'll like this Christian band. As if like we had to come up with some derivative, almost as good as version of what the real world was doing. Mm-hmm. And you'd listen to this band that was supposed to be like Blink One Eighty Two, and it was they were nowhere near as vibrant and exciting. They, did, they didn't drop any F-bombs and they they didn't sing songs about things we didn't want to sing about, but it was not great art. It was so copied and derivative. And, you know, oh, my goodness. I It really saddens my heart that the Christian church feels the need to be just a bit too safe, mm. you know, mm. and, oh, man, I just wish we were able to be more creative and take more risks. Um, and I and I would like to see and hear that happening, but um, the the real the real like truly whoa I've never heard anything like that before in my life I've never heard anyone sing a lyric like that ever before in my life that does seem to be the realm of of the secular of the mainstream and I wish it was a bit more by followers of Jesus but um. Within the within the context of leading a congregation to worship God by singing these songs, that's probably not the moment for it. We're going to have to be pretty within the boundaries. I love it, Jason. You have some thoughts there as we wrap up. I think maybe even asking um, either the elders or your pastor and going, "Okay, what do you hope people do experience?" Um, maybe getting their take, and they might not speak in creative terms, but you will have to translate that um and so and then the other thing that i would say is getting off autopilot is just spend time with your guitar or your keyboard or whatever it might be and just worship don't worry about the set list don't worry about um you know whatever you're singing for that sunday and just spend time worshiping make up new songs it does it can be singing scripture it can be whatever it might be and i think in a liturgical sense it might even be hey we have the the scripture for that sunday um maybe it's doing it in a new way um instead of just getting up and speaking it maybe you put a melody to it maybe you put a chant to it maybe you do it in a creative way and so that you're still within the liturgy but um you can take a fresh take to how you respond and how you um give it I love I love hearing scripture being read in other languages in those yeah. scenarios. It's a great I love it just you sit back and I don't even necessarily know word for word what's being stated or if it's on the screen I can read it or in my bible I can read it. Um but I love hearing other 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 languages come through in song but also in also in uh, scripture reading. Hey as we wrap up today um I know you guys know my food questions it has to come so speaking of risk taking, what's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? What is like the weirdest thing that you're like, I ate this and I it, it was I was oh. forced to eat it. I was in a I was at a camp one time and they forced me to eat crickets. Like what is what is Are you your... gonna start, Jason? I am gonna start. I can All right, go ahead. I was in well, I was in Peru uh with World Vision and we were uh we were in a village and they they in this specific village, anemia is a is a big is a big thing. And World Vision had gone in and 
taught them how to, from chicken blood, you were able to get, find a great source of iron to help uh, to help with anemia. And they made this stuff that we called, I don't remember the name of it, but we nicknamed it chicken blood pate. And we were sitting there and we were like, we don't need to eat it. Like we're, I mean, in our brains, we're like, we're, you're, they're telling us about it, but the, per, the, the place we were at, they made us some to eat. And like there was a crack, they put it on a cracker. My water bottle was in our van. It was not in my hand. And uh, they put it on a cracker and it was like a couple steps below a saltine. So there wasn't even like moisture in the cracker to offset. I'm having a hard time even saying it. And they put it on the cracker and we chewed, we, we put it in and, and it was, it was hard. It was hard to get that one knowing what it was was really hard to like get the swallow and the gag reflex not to kick in simultaneously wow. and you because you don't want to be disrespectful and because they, they made it for you um but uh, that happened so i did that what about you grant what are you oh well i was in uh, the netherlands uh and I was, maybe someone can help me out with this because i'm a bit confused like who are the dutch um where's the netherlands what's what's holland anyway i'm a bit confused about it anyway but in western europe there um, and I think, uh, some, some radio hosts, I was with a band that was touring at the time and the radio host thought it'd be funny on air to give us this thing called, I can't remember what it was called. It had an amazing, uh, Dutch name, but it was pickled herring, cold, raw fish chunk, like g- gelatinous gray, gelatinous, <laughs> gelatinous gray, putrid, pungent, cold fish and on air. You owned it? Yeah, did you, did yeah. You... eat this. Eat this. And it was, I think it was like, we have to do this, guys. Otherwise, we'll be disrespectful. No, they just wanted to make us gag. That was yeah. the whole deal. And did you, anyway, did, you, did you swallow it? Did you, did you survive? Kept it down. Kept it down. Kept yep. it down. Check. Kept it down. That's that's yeah. the goal. What about you, Not Jason? a lot of it. So I grew up in the 90s, and so the the gross-out games of youth group were oh, yeah. there, but I did not participate because that was just like, gross. it was not my thing. But anything of actual food i i'm not picky never have been so i'll eat anything i don't even know what the craziest thing is because it's just there but a quick story is when i was eight i think we were out to uh dinner at a seafood restaurant and my dad had scallops i didn't know what they were and so my dad said that they were fish brains probably because he wanted to eat all the scallops um (laughs) and and so uh i was like okay fish brains cool you're eating them I'll try them. And obviously they were very, very good, but that's a quick story. It was like, I'll eat whatever. If you're having it. Wow. You have no gag reflex. It doesn't bother you. I have a gag reflex, but it's all right. Like I'm not that picky. You, so you willingly ate what you thought was fish brains. Yes. I will. At eight years old. I'm impressed. Brains at eight years old. And so that is the story of my food journey. I'm you don't, there's nothing else in that. You were like, I, you did swallowed it. No one knew what it was. Like I'm the one who goes into like, we've, gone into some Asian restaurants and you just point and you're like, I don't know what this is, but it's got some interesting texture and you just go with it. Like I can't eat it. if I don't know what it is, Oh, I don't, you know, it's on a plate. It's good. Right. No, I'm I'm pretty easy with what, what food I get to eat too. You know, I'm often visiting somewhere and my hosts will say, now, is is there anything you don't want to eat? Can't eat, you know, like we're going to take you to a restaurant or you're staying at our home and you know, we're going to be feeding you and and I say, yes, I do have food restrictions. I only eat food. Yeah. <laughs> I do not eat carpet. 
I do not eat wallpaper. I do not eat guitars. I only eat food. Oh, man. That's a quote. Grant Norsworthy. I only eat food. <laughs> you guys, thanks for hanging out today. I appreciate you and uh, and this conversations and just kind of continuing on as we as we as we chat through ministry and life and uh, finishing off finishing off another month of the podcast. Um, if you guys are listening and uh, haven't haven't followed us yet, check us out on Instagram at Worship Peter Podcast. Um, we post some things there apart from the podcast. Um, we're doing some Zoom meetings and where you can can join a call and a talk and and talk to and talk in real time with worship leaders from everywhere. So check us out there and we will continue on. See you guys next week.